0: Well, take that Bible as we prepare our hearts for communion. I'd like to finish John chapter 12 this morning. John chapter 12. And we find ourselves coming to those last verses that are put in that paragraph in the gospel of John. And we'll be looking at verses 44 through 50. And this is part three of the final invitation. I've titled it the final invitation because it is... His final public invitation in the Gospel of John, of course, will turn to the disciples in the Upper Room Discourse to the arrest later in chapter 18, but these are his final words to the crowd. But follow along as we pick up where we left off. It says, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me, and whoever sees me sees him. Has, given, has himself given me the commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. May God bless his word. And here it is, his final invitation. You remember, maybe just a week back or so, we left off in verse 42 and 43. You remember where Jesus said there, John commenting on it, said, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed on him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. So in an amazing passage, in the midst of the unbelief, as he finishes in some ways his three-year public ministry, many were unbelieving in him or disbelieving in him. And yet you have this statement in verse 42 there that some of the authorities believed in him, it says, but for fear of the religious leaders, you'll note it there in verse 42, they were not confessing him or confessing it. They didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. And he actually cites the motive. They love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that came from God. And we discussed just briefly last week, were those believers? Can you, in fact, claim Christ, claim to know Christ, but in some measure, not confess Him? I mean, if you just looked at John 12, you'd ask the question, are those real believers... Or as we closed out last week, are those make-believers? Now, it's an interesting passage because it says they believed in him, but they weren't confessing him. Now, of course, some of you might think, well, certainly Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. But you must confess, for with the mouth, man confesses. And yet, some might say, well, maybe they just were fearful and at a later time they would Confess him, and so were they real believers or are they make believers? Now you remember it's similar to John chapter two in verses twenty three and twenty four, where it says back all the way in chapter two, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. They believed in his name, but the very next phrase says that he did not entrust themselves uh, to him to them in Jesus' own heart, he wouldn't entrust himself to them because it says that he knew what was in man's heart. And so I'm going to ask you this question then, as we proceed ahead. What is genuine faith? I mean, what does genuine faith look like? I mean, how do you know you've got the real thing? And what expressly does our Lord say regarding genuine faith? And maybe because the text left off last week on it, and I think it goes forward, I'm asking you that question as we come to the Lord's table. Are you a real believer or are you a make believer? And maybe this question How can you tell the difference? How do you know the difference? Well, here, just in a few sentences, in verses 44 through 50, Jesus is going to unpack the summary of his message. It is a clear summary of all that he has said in John's gospel. And for that matter, it is a clear summary of the gospel. And I want you, as we walk through this text, to ask this question, what are the distinguishing marks of genuine faith? How can you really tell? And so what I want to do is look at this final invitation with you by seeing three truths of genuine faith that you must believe, okay? Three truths of genuine faith that you must affirm, that you must believe because they fall from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I walk into this final appeal with you, it is what I would say just a tender appeal. I mean, I just see such grace, maybe as Brett shared this morning, how to witness in love how to witness in humility. He has just had the Jewish people wholesale reject him. After the message, after all of his miracles. You remember it says in 1237 that it says there that there were, though he had done many signs. It says that many of them did not believe in him. And yet there's such a tender appeal here. I would also say there is an urgent appeal. Because he kept telling them, the light's going to be with you just a little longer. And maybe they had no idea that the light would be with them just a few more hours. Now remember that as we step into this text, don't forget that it is Passion Week. And it is most likely here on Wednesday. So you understand that as we go into the Upper Room Discourse, that's going to take place in 13 through 17 on Thursday then he will be arrested that evening and he will be lifted up and tried and crucified on Friday. And so it is tender, but it is urgent. But here's the three truths of genuine faith. The first truth is this. Genuine faith believes the Father sent the Son. The second truth is that genuine faith believes the necessity of obedience. Okay? And then thirdly, Uh, The third truth is that genuine faith believes Christ's authority comes from the Lord. Now, there's other elements of the gospel, but the gospel will at least include this. This is what marks out genuine faith, and it is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's look at that first truth together. Genuine faith believes the Father sent the Son. It believes the Father sent the Son. Pick up the text with me in verse 44. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Now, I'll explain just for a second here. You have to be able to discern one thing, at least from last week. You'll note in verse 44 that he cried out and said, and then he made that statement, and we've read that together. It's interesting, if you go back to twelve thirty-six. though, do you remember there when it says, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light, verse 36b, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. So in other words, he was giving an urgent appeal, and after he gave that appeal, the text is really clear that he hid himself. So as you drop down in verse 45, and he cried out and he said, whoever believes in me believes not in in me, but in him who sent me. When did he say this? Well, he at least said it, I believe, all the way through the gospel of John. He is summarizing his message here, but I really believe that he said it at some point in the Passion Week. But as John arranged his gospel, he went out and hid. And then as he places this in his gospel, he places it here after he went out and hid. It is a summary for us. It is a tender appeal to us. And so he places it there. Now, you'll notice there that he hid himself. But either before that or maybe all the way along in these three years, at some point, look at 44, he cried out, okay? He cried out. It is a strong proclamation. It is in this context, the final invitation that he gives. He cried out before when he said he's the light of the world in chapter 728 and 737. He said, well, what does he cry out? Well, look at verse 44. And this is even in the midst of unbelief. Whoever believes in me Believes not in me, he says, but in the one who sent me. Now, you read that little phrase there, believes not in me. It would better be understood, believes not only in me, not only in me, but in the one who sent me. And I think that's clarified. Look at verse 45. It says there, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. It's speaking, is our Lord Jesus, of the unity between the Father and the Son. He's speaking of the oneness between the Father and the Son. Now that phrase here, who sees me, is set beside the previous phrase, the one who believes in me. And he's talking here, is our Lord, about the one who sees him, not just physically... But the one who sees him and believes in him, obviously with the eye of faith. Beloved, to believe in Jesus is the same then as in believing in the Father. So that in seeing Jesus, it is equated in the gospel with seeing the Father. In fact, you remember in John fourteen nine. Where he said, I've been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me, Jesus said, has seen who? The Father. In other words, all throughout the scripture and all throughout this gospel, Jesus, here's the principle, reveals God to us. Reveals God to us. That in seeing the Son, you see the Father. In fact, Jesus said in that great statement back in John 1.18 that no one has ever seen God, the only God. And then he said, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And so very clearly in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, he revealed the one who was invisible. He, speaking of that beloved son in one eighteen, has made him known. Now, this is consistent with Scripture. In Colossians 1.15, it says there that he is the image of the invisible God. In fact, it says, does the writer of Hebrews in 1.3, that he is, speaking of Christ, the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact representation of his nature. And so here, if you've seen Christ... If you've believed in Christ, you're seeing the Father, if you will, with the eye of faith. And I say the eye of faith because there were as many people who saw Christ but did not trust in him. And that's why he said at the end of John 20, 29, Have you believed because you have seen me? And then Jesus said there, Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. So here is this teaching You must believe in genuine faith the Father and the Son. In fact, look again at verse 45. He says there, Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. And he's obviously referring to God the Father. In other words, this is what genuine faith is all about. Is that Jesus comes directly from the Father. And your reaction to Jesus... is is the same reaction that we are to have with God the Father. And so here's genuine faith. When you see him, you see him who sent me. And that phrase there is important, sent me. Jesus, beloved, is sent by God. This must be affirmed. He is commissioned by God. He is commissioned by the Father. He was not here in space and time and history on his own. He was sent, if you will, by God the Father himself. And he was sent to speak and to act with the authority in his Father's name. And so this is crucial. Genuine faith believes the Father sent the Son. Take your Bible and let me just show you this. He's summarizing the gospel. Go back to John chapter 3. I will just highlight a few of these texts, namely of the Father sending the Son. I don't want you to miss this. This is the mark of genuine faith. Jesus said there, it could even be John in 3.34, For he whom God has sent in 3.34 utters... The words of God. In other words, to see Christ is to see the Father. And the one that the Father sent is the one who utters the very words of God. Look in chapter 4 and in verse 34. Remember there with the woman at the well. Jesus said to them, to the crowd, after she had went back. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. In other words, Jesus was ever conscious that he was not here autonomously. His food, if you will, his very food, was to do the very will of God, that one who sent him to this earth. Look over in chapter 5 in verse 19. You remember, we touched on these. In 5 and 18, it says this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. It, it's so clear. Making himself equal With God. And now, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. What the Father does, the Son does. Glance down at 523. There Jesus said that all men may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son, watch this, 523, does not honor the Father who sent him. This is, this is what we call johine theology. The Father has sent the Son. In fact, look at 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, there it is again, has eternal life. Very, very clear. Look down at John chapter 5 and verse 30. Jesus said, I could do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So clear. He was under orders. He was commissioned by God to speak and so to act. Look again in chapter 5 in verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, speaking to the Baptist. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, watch this, 536, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Verse 37, and the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, verse 38. And you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom He has sent. It's all over the text, isn't it? So you say, well, Scott, what are you talking about? Here's a mark of genuine faith. You must believe that the Father sent the Son, and I could even add this, that He sent no one else. Oh, he sent prophets, we understand this. But he sent his only begotten son. In fact, look over at chapter 6. Look in chapter 6 in verse 29. Jesus answered them after the discourse of the bread of life. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Glance down at 638. For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me. And here's why we believe in eternal security. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given given me, but I will raise him up on the last day. Over and over and over again, you have have this affirmation that the Father has sent the Son. One more, would you go over to John chapter 13, and then I'll back you up. But in John chapter 13, in verse 20, you're going to see language like this. Jesus speaking again, truly, truly, I say to you, what's the wording here? Whoever receives me, or or whoever receives the one uh, that I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. So here's the ideal of believing and receiving and seeing and coming to Christ. Those are all expressions of faith. Let me say it this way, beloved. To know Christ is to know the Father. To receive Christ is to receive the Father. Christ and the Father in John ten thirty are one. Now look back in John chapter 12. He puts a modifier on there not a modifier but he adds to it in John 12 he'll say this in verse 46 he expresses who he is he sent me and who is he he says in verse 46 I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness and we've exposed that before he just said in chapter 12 35 and 36 he is the light of the world he said that he is the light of the world in John chapter 8, 12. In other words, you must believe in him as that light of the world. To remain in sin, as we've seen over the course of these few years, is to remain in darkness. To remain in sin and darkness is to even fall away. But to come to the Christ, to come to the light, is to separate yourself from sin and not remain in your sin and in darkness. But here's the implication for you this morning. Jesus, as the light of the world, is sent and commissioned by God to speak and to act with authority in his Father's name. You've got to affirm that. You have to affirm that. That is a distinguishing mark. And I think he's, 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 he's putting this in there because of the people who believed, but then they didn't confess him. Here's what you must confess. You must confess that God, almighty God, God the Father, sent his Son. Genuine faith recognizes that Jesus is not just a man, and it is to see Jesus as God's supreme self-disclosure of himself, the Word made flesh, the God-man, or it is not faith at all. You have to affirm that, believe that. Let me say it this way. Put it another way. If you don't have Jesus as your Savior, you don't have God as your Father. This is what the text is saying. There are not many different ways to get to God. If you don't have and believe in Jesus as the Savior then the scripture, it's just that clear, you don't have God as your father. John, this same writer in the other book that we exposited through in 1 John 2, 23, couldn't be any clearer. No one, he says there, who denies the son has the father. So that's clear. If you deny the son, you don't have the father. And then it says in 1 John 2.23, Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. In other words, so closely is the Son identified with the Father that to see Jesus is to see the Father who actually sent him. To believe in Jesus is to believe in God. To know him is to know God. Genuine faith is believes the Father sent his Son. In fact, he said earlier, do you remember, that anyone who does not honor the Son fails to honor the Father who sent him. So crystal clear. It is impossible, Grace Church of the Valley, then, to believe in God and not believe in his only begotten Son whom he has sent. And so I'm asking you this morning, do you believe this? Genuine faith believes, number one, that the Father sent the Son. But there's a second truth here. A second truth, it's the words of Christ. There's a second truth, is it not only believes the Father sent the Son, but here, genuine faith believes the necessity of obedience. Genuine faith believes the necessity of obedience. Obedience. And again, I think he's looking back in 1242 and 43. They did not confess him. Well, what is the distinguishing marks? Well, here in the second truth, it believes the necessity of obedience. Look at 1247. And it's a warning here in these in this gospel summary. He said, If anyone in 47 hears my word, and watch this and does not keep them. Stop there just for a second. He's warning the people. He's warning you. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, does not, and the key here, obviously, is obedience. If he doesn't keep them, you can see, we'll touch on this in a moment, he says, I don't judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. But he begins by a warning there that you can be in the hearing of his word and not keep them or be in the hearing of his word and we would say not obey him. Now, this is not the first time that he said this. He says, well, Scott, what's the point he's making? Well, genuine faith believes in the necessity of obedience. Now, you and I both know we're saved by grace through faith, And faith doesn't enter into his grace. We're saved by grace alone. But all through the scripture, the root that takes place in the heart by grace leads to the fruit of obedience to his commands. And so he's warning them. He may be warning us or he may just be equipping you and reminding you of this. Now, this is not the first place that he said this. Look back just for a moment in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, there, he's talking about the truth will set you free. But remember this, Jesus in 831 said to the Jews who had believed in him. So there were those who had expressed some kind of faith. But he said this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my what? Disciples. You've got to abide In his word. Now he's not talking about sinless perfection there. But he is talking about a direction of abiding and living and practicing. In fact, if you will, look at John chapter 8 in verse 51. He gives another condition there. He says in 8.51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, if, he will never see, what? Death. And so you got to believe in the necessity of obedience because Jesus himself warned in 1247 that if you don't keep my word and you hear my word, then you're going to be judged. Now, beloved, you know this is just a biblical principle. Remember when we exposited through the book of James, when James, the half-brother of our Lord, said, what good is it? Grace Church of the Valley, if someone says he has faith, but he has no what? Works, he asks this rhetorical question, can that faith what? Save him? And the answer of course is no. It can't save them. So it's one thing to hear his word and another thing to obey his word as a practice of life. There was a man who was attending our church and in his desire to so preserve the grace of God, he wanted to not recognize this biblical principle. Because he would ask me, Pastor Scott, how much do I have to do then? I mean, how will you ever really know? And I don't necessarily think he was asking a sincere question. I mean, he could have been. Maybe, maybe his heart was sincere. I've got that question from a lot of people. And I don't, I don't think he's outside of Christ. I think he knows the Lord. But he was so trying to preserve grace and so trying to deny any works to our salvation, which we affirm, it's all grace. But, beloved, what we're saying is there is a biblical principle that when you have been regenerated in your heart... And the root is the sovereignty of God and the grace of God. The fruit that flows out of that is obedience to his word. And I just, I read the text to him, that text. He wasn't too happy. So what text? That one. I told this man, I said, listen, I I understand what you're saying about grace. And, and And he said, well, Scott, how much is enough? And I just said, well... If someone says talk is cheap, he has faith, but he ha- does not have works, can that faith save him? The answer clearly is what? No. It's worthless. It's useless. It's of no effect. And, and so I told him, I answered his question, how much is enough? <laughs> I said, you just need a shriveled up piece of fruit somewhere on the vine. I am trying to go to the most minimalist, <laughs> to, I don't know if that's fair, to the, to the most reductionist statement that I could make to say that there needs to be even a shriveled up piece of, group, of fruit somewhere on that vine. That man no longer attends our church. And I I understand his heart wanting to preserve grace, but listen, when you begin to preserve grace to the point where you leave us with no moral obligation to obey the Lord, something's wrong with the grace that you say you profess. Is that fair? In other words, it's got to show somewhere in your life. So genuine faith then, not only affirms the Father sent the Son, but genuine faith here in this principle affirms the necessity of obedience. In fact, go to John 14. I mean, Jesus, go to John 14, but he said, if in 831 you abide in my word, and if anyone keeps my word in 851, he will not taste death. And how about this statement in John 14, 23? Jesus answered them, him, 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep, My, what? Word. And my Father will love him and come to him and make our home with him. But he gives a condition there, doesn't he? And then 24, it couldn't be clearer. Whoever does not love me does not, what? Keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. And so here, genuine faith, at some level, affirms and believes the necessity of obedience. Certainly not to gain your salvation, but to demonstrate the validity of what you do profess in the reality of how you live. In fact, I was thinking about a guy this morning, a man who had... I, I was a young pastor at this point. Young pastor. This is probably... 28 years ago, 27 years ago, and I was with a a senior pastor, and we had to go confront this guy committed an adultery. And I just remember confronting him with this other man, this other pastor, and I just remember this guy weeping like a baby. I just thought, wow, this is great. He obviously confessed sin, but he, he just wept like a baby when confronted with the issue. Two weeks later, we called, and his wife was actually still weeping. So he went back to this man again and confronted him again. It's a man in the life of our church. And I remember again a second time, he just wept profusely. I am just so sorry. I am so sorry. I'm going to make this right. He's involved in a, a relationship that didn't honor God, obviously. And then a month later, he left his wife. And then a month later, he divorced his wife. And then sometime later, he married that other woman. Now, I can't see into his heart, but I can see the the lack of fruit in his life. And I I just think when, when we make some pass on somebody because they say one thing and don't live in that faith, something's wrong. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, here's a genuine mark. You've got to believe that the Father sent me. And secondly, you've got to believe in the necessity of obedience. But look back in John chapter 12. He adds something amazing here. Look at it. It's amazing. And if you're not careful, you'd be confused. He said, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, watch this. I do not judge him. And then he says, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. You say, "Well, I, I, we get that because he already said that in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And then he says in John three seventeen, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, is what it says, but in order that the world might be saved from him. it says through him. And so obviously, his first coming, he came to save. But in the case of unbelief," Oh, he will be the judge. But when he came at the beginning, he came not to condemn, he came to save. You say, well, Scott, we do believe in judgment, of course. Jesus is the one who will judge, John 5.22, John 5.27. You say, well, Scott, what judges them then? Who judges them or what judges them? Look at the text in verse 47 again. He says, he says in verse 48, excuse me, the one, watch this, who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. What is that? Look, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Wow. The one who rejects him. In other words, the one who doesn't receive his words, the one who refuses, if you will, to have anything to do, Jesus says, with my words, with me, will actually be condemned in the last day. Okay? Those who reject Christ have a judge, and what judges him or them on that last day is the words of Jesus Christ a frightening reality, but he's so tender to tell him that. In fact, look back at John 5 just for a moment. In John 5, it says there, do you remember when we touched on that? In John 5, in verse 45, where he's closing out that argument, and he says, do not think in in 545 that I will accuse you before the Father. There is one who accuses you. Interesting. Moses. "...on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. If you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my what words?" So, beloved, genuine faith then is marked by obedience to his word. The one who claims to know Christ but doesn't obey his word... Will be condemned and judged by Christ's own words. Now you might just say, Well, Scott, what? How could he do that? I mean, this is weighty. There is not a more gravitas statement in all of the scripture. I mean, some, maybe even if you're visiting today, might think, Who does he think he is? Or like my friend's dad last week, I just don't understand why God could tell me what to believe and if I don't believe him, I'll burn forever in hell. You say, well, how could he do that? How could he say that? How could he judge people based on his words and based on this scripture? Well, Look at the text, so clear in verse 49. He said, For I have not spoken on my authority, Jesus said, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So genuine faith believes that first truth, the Father sent the Son. It believes that second truth, The necessity of obedience and thirdly, genuine faith believes Christ's authority comes from God. Christ's authority comes from God. Look at it again in 49. He says, I have not spoken on my authority. But the Father who sent me, he has given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. Amazing. Jesus is God. But in his submission in the incarnation, he submits to only the Father's word. In fact, he said in another place in John 7:16, Jesus said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. In other words, you've got to affirm Christ's authority comes from God. And this is where we're going to begin to part waters with a lot of people. This is not just a word. This is not just a way. This is not just a path. This is the word, the way, and the path. No one comes to the Father but through what? Me. And where did Jesus get it? Why could he make the statements that he made? Well, he's telling you, it was given to him by the Father. So to listen to Jesus is to listen to God the Father speak. He has spoken in his word, and he's chiefly spoken in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is not the only place he said that. Look back in John 8, just for a moment, in John chapter 8, in verse 26. Have you seen that, or do you remember when we were there? In 8, 26, he says, I have much to say about you. Jesus said, and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, watch this, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Couldn't be any clearer. I'm telling you, Jesus says, what I've heard from him. So that's why we believe this is God's word. And by the way, that's why I'm taking time, you know that, to explain the word to you. Why would a pastor get up, and do anything other than explaining the word. The power lies in the word. Because the power is in the word. Because it's God's word. And it came through Christ. But would you look at 8.28. If you're still there. 8.28. Jesus said to them. When you have lifted up the son of man. Then you will know that I am he. That I am doing nothing on my own authority. But speak. Speak just as the Father taught me. Wow. Just as the Father taught me. Look over at John 14. John 14. I don't know if we think about it often. We always think, hey, Christ is equal with God. He speaks. He is the Word of God. But you see these statements. He said in John 14.10, Do you not believe? He said that I am in the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father's in me in 14.10. The Word's, That I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. I don't speak on my own authority. I speak on the authority of the one who sent me. Beloved, you know this. These are not human words that he gives. These are words from God. So I could say this morning, I could say all week, that God the Father was directly talking to me in his word. These are not human words. This is not a Bible that's been assembled, if you will, that contains. They are words pinned by people under the inspiration of the Spirit, but they come from the Father. They came to Christ. Christ spoke these words to us. So here is why Jesus' words are so authoritative. You say, well, why? Well, why can't he pronounce judgment on unbelief? Here's why. Because in reality, they're words that come from God the Father. In fact, it's so clear. Would you look back at the last statement in 1250? He said, did Jesus, here's how authoritative they are. Jesus said, I know that his commandment, in other words, he calls the scripture a commandment, is eternal life and then this last phrase what i say therefore i say as the father has what told me and i just see such grace there such grace i know that his commandment is eternal life do you believe that that's what he's asking do you believe that peter answered remember back in john chapter 6 when the lord said do you want to go away and peter said lord i uh, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Beloved, it really comes down for us as we come into the Lord's table, just to one thing. And that one thing is faith, faith. What will you do with Christ? And what will you do with His words? And the truth is, is it comes down to one thing, but there are two choices. Two choices. And you're just in one camp or the other. Because Jesus said it this way in John 3.18. who Or actually John said. Whoever believes in me is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in me is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So this morning you're either... Not condemned, because you trust Christ. But if you trust something else, then you're condemned already. And I don't, maybe that's not a good way to say it. If you trust some, maybe you're just afraid of giving your whole life to Christ. Maybe you're like one in John 12, 42 and 43. You're drawn. You hear this word. It resonates in your heart. But maybe you just don't want to confess him publicly. Listen, I think the Lord's just drawn it down to two places. The one who believes is not condemned. The one who has not believed is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So, beloved, listen. What are the marks of genuine faith? I think it's pretty clear. You've got to believe the Father sent the Son. Secondly, you've got to believe, at least we'd say this, in the necessity of obedience. And thirdly, you've got to believe here that the authority of Jesus Christ comes from God the Father, that it is God's word. And if you affirm that, then you are a genuine disciple of his. Certainly other aspects come in there, repentance, certainly the resurrection of Christ. But as he closes out this final invitation, this is the truth of the word of God. You know what's so amazing and in the midst of all of this, of who he was, being sent by God, He was sent to die for our sins. In fact, right there in John 12 last week, he was quoting Isaiah. And he's quoting him who died on and in our place.